Alright, let's go ahead and get started. <clears throat> let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Lord God, I thank you so much uh, for another Sunday. I thank you that it's summer. I know for some people it's a lot busier. Um, I pray that uh, you would just be with uh, those that is the case for them. But thank you so much for us. It's a much slower time and just so looking forward to teaching this class and just being at uh, church all summer. And I uh, just pray, God, that this class would just be a real blessing to all of us, that we'd learn a lot and that we would glorify you and that we'd be edified. And um, I pray, God, that it would not be just about dates and facts, uh, but that we'd be inspired um, by your people down through the ages to uh, more and more serve you and glorify you and um, just understand that the Christian life is a very hard life, um, but that you have um, designed it that way and that we can take encouragement when we go through difficult things. We thank you so much, God, for all you give us. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. <coughs> Drink. This guy got me talking about the Warriors, and I got talking like a mile a minute, <laughs> so I needed a drink there. <laughs> um, real quick, if you check the top of your handout, if you have a pen, uh, my mistake, I sort of uh, uh, copied and pasted from the Trinity uh, uh, series. I made sure to change it from 10 sessions to 9 sessions, um, put session 1 in there, but I forgot to change the heading, so I do apologize for that. That should read, uh, The History of the Church. Uh, we are done with the doctrine of the Trinity. I hope you had fun with that. But if you're like, oh my gosh, is he going more on that? No, we're done. <laughs> we did enough. <clears throat> There's been handouts and appendices and no, Trinity is done. So um, I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite topics uh, to teach on. Um, I was a high school history teacher for a long time at a Christian school and they let me bring in as much church history as I wanted. It was really, really fun. It was really, really exciting. Um, as most of you guys know, my teaching style, um, I like to be logical, systematic, break things down, all that good stuff. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of push that back to week two, next week, all right? Um, break down what are the sessions uh, that we're going to cover, what, what are all, how am I going to kind of break it down, um, get a little bit technical. I'm going to try only do that one week, just talk about why should we study church history from a biblical standpoint, uh, sort of theologically, where does church history kind of fit uh, on the theological map, so on and so forth. Um, but today, I kind of wanted to wet your whistle a little bit more about what most of the sessions will look like, okay? Um, I know a lot of you guys will be expecting me to get really theological, because you guys know that I really like to do that, and I know a lot of you guys feel the same way. But for this class, I'm actually going to not dive into as much theology. I mean, it's impossible to go over church history without going over any. But the point of this class is really more to focus sort of on the inspirational story of the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Does that make sense? Okay. And <clears throat> what I'm going to kind of highlight today in class, um, which is going to be the highlight kind of of the um, entire series, is I'm really going to focus on the persecution of the church, um, which might seem like a very kind of dark and not fun topic. Um, but what I'm going to try to um, show today, both through the verse that we're going to look at and then just through um, the study of church history in general, is that persecution really kind of is, um, and if you want to write this down, this is, I think, a good thing uh, to kind of highlight, persecution has really kind of been sort of, maybe not the defining mark, but either a major defining mark, or you could maybe even make the case the defining mark of the history of the church, okay? <clears throat> no group, no religion, no worldview philosophy, no, um, you know, culture, tribe, whatever you want to call it, has been as persecuted as biblical Christianity, and that is a historic fact. Now, when I say biblical Christianity, I want to take a step back and say I'm not necessarily talking about everything that calls itself Christianity. I'm not talking about 
you know, from a sociological sort of secular standpoint, anything that puts the label Christianity on it would not fall into that category. There's been huge chunks of the church in various parts of the world that have been, or, or what people would call the church, um, relatively safe and, and, you know, not heavily persecuted. But I'm talking about people who are committed to the Bible, Bible-believing Christianity, okay, if we kind of narrow it down to that, okay, the, the, the true church that is adhered to the Word of God from start to finish, um, there is no question that is the most persecuted group in all of history, okay? And you'll see that as we go through, all right? And as we look at the verse from today, um, you'll see, okay, that, that is by God's design, all right? <clears throat> so with that, um, uh, when I say part one, if you guys remember when I teach, the parts of my class don't always necessarily coincide with the session. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's going to be nine sessions, which means we'll be going over church history for uh, nine Sundays. Uh, but sometimes I'll do two or three parts in one session. Sometimes it'll take me two sessions to get through one part. If you guys remember, that's kind of how I did the Trinity, all right? It just kind of all depends how long it takes me to get through each uh, individual part, all right? But today we'll cover part one. I'm hoping to get through all of it today. It might spill over a little bit into next week, but hopefully not too much, okay? So part one is persecution, as I said. All right, let's look at um, uh, number one, or the subsection of part one, uh, Romans eight seventeen. <clears throat> I'll go into some more verses next week, okay? It kind of sort of like the theological foundation for church history, um, but this is sort of the kind of overarching key or kind of thematic verse for this class, all right? There's a lot of verses we could talk about in persecution, uh, but I chose this one. I think it really kind of clarifies and is a very good one. <clears throat> okay, I'm reading from the ESV, um, and it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and then this is the important part, <clears throat> Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay? The reason I chose this verse, okay, is it makes it really clear that suffering with Christ is not something that is optional in the Christian life. Okay? Uh, that might not be something that we like to hear, especially sort of, you know, American evangelicals, uh, but the verse here makes that very, very clear. Okay? It doesn't just say, you know, um, many Christians will suffer, or, you know, you can, a lot of Christians can expect to suffer, or Christians in the first century, you know, they were really going to suffer a lot, okay? He really says, okay, that if children, all right, then we are heirs of God, but then he qualifies that. He says, provided, meaning like, you know, the qualification is, okay, that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, okay? Now, I'm not preaching any kind of work salvation. I'm not saying go out there and seek suffering and force yourself to suffering and find suffering, okay, and, and you're going to sort of suffer your way into the kingdom. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying, okay? What is Paul driving at here, though? If you're there you go. Excellent. Couldn't have summarized better, <laughs> okay? That's what he's saying. Just like the Bible talks about we are not saved by works, but works are a what of faith? Fruit of faith. Works follow faith, okay? And part of those works is suffering, suffering with Christ, okay? Suffering is going to come. All right. It's inevitable. It is simply part and parcel uh, of the Christian life. It is not a maybe. OK, it's not like a possibility. It's not something you can avoid. It is part and parcel of the Christian life. Now, am I saying that all Christians are going to suffer exactly the same? No. Am I saying all Christians are going to suffer exactly the same way? No, I'm not saying that. OK, because um, <clears throat> that can be very scary. OK, to, you know, um, uh, sort of middle to upper middle class. OK, uh, uh, 
American evangelicals, because let's face it, we don't suffer a whole lot, all right? Um, uh, but what it is saying, okay, is that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, in some torture chamber, okay, in the Middle East, all right, for there to be Christian suffering, okay? Um, it could be simply as sim uh, some, uh, simple as you're just overwhelmed with, with taking care of your kids right now. I mean, it's just, you're just flat out overwhelmed, all right, and God is asking you to stick with it and to not only stick with it, but to do so in a Christian fashion. Does that make sense? Okay. That is a form of Christian suffering. God has brought that, he's put that on the plate of your life, and he's asking you to endure through that, all right? And suffering is going to come, okay, in the Christian life. Some, okay, obviously are going to suffer much more than others, all right, but no matter what, we are going to go through that. Now, the question is why? What is the purpose of that? Why would God want us, okay, uh, uh, to suffer? It's not like our suffering uh, atones for sins the way Christ's suffering did, okay? So what is the point of, of suffering? Yes, Sam. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, very good, Sam. It, it, it draws us closer to, to God, okay? When we are suffering, okay, if we are truly saved, okay, we're going to run to Christ, okay? Now, I'm not saying not, you know, always right away, okay? You know what I mean? Life is complicated and difficult, okay? Sometimes when I'm just having a horrible day, I just want to go and listen to some music, okay? And not always necessarily, you know, like hymns, okay? Um, but again, uh, you know, but eventually, okay, um, we're going to be driven to Christ if we're truly saved. That's just an inevitability. If we are truly saved, when we are suffering, we're going through, when we're really being put through the ringer by God, it's going to drive us to Christ, and that process is going to, as Sam says, conform us more uh, uh, to God, okay? I think one of the most important passages in this respect, a passage that I'm going to be very honest with you, is one of my favorite and has been a massive, massive encouragement to me um, over the years, is 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7 through 10. I'm not going to read it right now for the sp uh, sake of time and space, uh, but if you have a chance to go um, over it yourself, and I'll kind of paraphrase it right now. It's a very encouraging passage, okay? In this passage, Paul talks about how God has given him a what? Is anyone familiar with that text? <clears throat> Thorn in the flesh, okay? Doesn't really specify. God, uh, Paul says that it came from Satan. Some people say, well, that must mean it's a demonic uh, sort of force possible. I don't know that the passage is quite that explicit, okay? It's not really Paul's point. Whatever it is, it's something that is making his life very, very difficult, okay? And we know Paul had a lot of difficulties and went through a lot of suffering, okay? But he's definitely focusing on something in particular in this passage, I'm not sure exactly what, that's really, really getting at him, okay? And he says very clearly that he asked God what? <clears throat> Take it away, okay? Does he even remotely imply in that passage ever at any point that he's lacking in what? Which is a very common way of explaining suffering in the so-called sort of TV Christian world of today. Does Paul ever imply that he's lacking what? Faith. Does he? No, quite the opposite. He's saying, I came, he doesn't use the word faith, but it's clearly implied in the passage. I came before God in faith. I asked God, I begged God essentially, sincerely from my heart, take this away. It was not a faith issue, okay, at all. And what did God say very clearly? Yeah, no, okay, basically, okay, no, not going to do it, okay? And he's saying, because my grace is sufficient for you, okay, uh, my power is made perfect, okay, through your weakness, okay? All right, and so again, God is using that thorn in the, in the flesh of Paul to drive him uh, to Christ, and his faith is made all the more powerful, all the more strong through that. Okay? All right? <clears throat> um, now, I want to have a, a biblical balance here, okay? You can take this concept of suffering and persecution way too far. 
Okay, I think in, in a lot of American Christianity, we go way too far the other direction. Okay, it's all about how God is going to, you know, fix your life and he's going to make you the perfect coach. He's going to give you the perfect marriage. He's going to give you perfect kids. Uh, you're going to be the top dog at your job. You're going to make a ton of money. Okay, and to whatever extent, and you're going to drive a Royals Royce, and to whatever extent you don't have those things, you're lacking in faith. Okay, that's sort of like the extreme over here. And you, and you see a lot of that, especially on, on TV. Okay, and it's just bogus garbage theology. Okay, so, well, I don't, I think that's a much bigger struggle and issue to deal with in America today. You can take things way too far the other direction. And we've seen that in church history, okay? And that's what is known as asceticism or sort of severe asceticism, okay? Uh, we'll go over in the Middle Ages, there was uh, many um, uh, Christians, I think some were not truly saved. Some I think were, were just sort of taking this too far, okay? That would do what I said a minute ago. They would actually seek out suffering as opposed to letting God just bring it. And God's good at it. He knows what he's doing, just like with Paul's thorn in the flesh. He'll bring it, okay? You don't need to do his job for him. They would go out and they would seek it, okay? Uh, and they would do horrible things to themselves, okay? Anybody know some of the things that people would do in the Middle Ages to punish themselves, or sometimes not even just punish themselves, they would call it discipline, sort of creating a thorn in their flesh, you know, because like, like, like I said, they, God sort of needed help, okay? Yeah, okay, all right, they would whip themselves repeatedly, okay, oftentimes, well, they would be going like this, okay, and they'd be saying uh, prayers, Hail Mary, or the Our Father, or anything like that, okay? Any others, okay? There was a lot, that was just one of them. <clears throat> yes? Oh, this is in the Middle Ages, but weren't there... Weren't there Christians earlier in the Middle Ages that would just walk up to a uh, Roman official and witness just to get killed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the church fathers talked about that. They said that's sinful and that's wrong. They said martyrdom is a glorious thing, but you are not to seek out martyrdom. Okay, and so they chastised Christians for doing that. Okay, yes, actually, very good. That would be a little bit before the Middle Ages, but yeah, that's no, it's a, but it's a good example of what I'm talking about. Did you have? It's, it, I don't know what the device is called, but it's like this train thing that Gerson's is. Yes, yes. Some of them would, some of them would put it on their legs, okay, and they'd be these kind of rusted out, scratchy, nasty chains, and they would just squeeze, okay, and it would just like just pierce your leg, and the blood would flow, and it was just it was nasty, okay. It was really, really bad. Um, they would go on uh, pilgrimage. Some in some parts of the world, Roman Catholics will still do this to this day, okay, where you will get on your hands and knees and you will climb up jagged rocks, okay, to like an altar of Mary or Jesus, usually Mary, okay, um, and and it will literally just sh shred, okay, the tendons and and all the cartilage and stuff in your knees. Um, in some parts of the world, Roman Catholics will actually do what? Does anybody know? What's that? Yeah, but, but let's an ex, give me an extreme example of penance where you're seeking out the suffering. Yeah, you actually crucify themselves. What was another one? When they crawl up those steps that are filled with glass. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's sort of similar to what I was saying. It can be like sometimes it's mountain range with jagged rock, sometimes it's glass. But yeah, in the Philippines, it's very common to you actually crucify yourself trying to identify with Christ, and that's a form of punishment or suffering. So yeah, you can take this way too far in the other direction, okay? So again, we want to have a balanced view, okay? The Christian life, okay, is another thing if you want to write down, you don't have to, okay? But I think it is a good thing to sort of summarize, okay? The Christian life is both extremely satisfying, extremely fulfilling, extremely wonderful, and yet at the same time, in an extremely paradoxical sense, very, very difficult and very hard. It's both. It's not an either-or thing. It's sort of like the Trinity. You can overemphasize God's oneness, and then you land where? Does anyone remember? Modalism. Very good, okay? You land in modalism, okay, which is heresy and, and causes a lot of problems, okay? 
you can overemphasize the threeness, okay, and then you end up in tritheism, okay, or one of the other um, sort of uh, problematic uh, uh, doctrines, okay? Um, it's, it, with the two natures of Christ, you can overemphasize his deity, and all the passages about his humanity don't make any sense. You can overemphasize the passages on his humanity and really take away from his deity, okay? Excuse me. Same thing here. We want to have a balanced view. There are plenty of passages that talk about how wonderful the Christian life is, okay? But there's also plenty of passages that talk about that as a Christian, we are going to suffer. It's an inevitability. Expect it. When you preach the gospel to people, okay, there should be a sense in which you include that. Oftentimes, a lot of times, we don't do that. We sort of leave that part out, and then we're like, okay, we'll kind of like, it's kind of a bait and switch. We'll sort of like let them know about that once we got them into the kingdom, okay? And that's not the way people used to preach before the 20th century, okay? When you went and preached the gospel, you were honest about the fact, okay, that you were taking up your cross, okay, and you were following Christ, okay? And what does, when Jesus said, take up your cross, what does that symbolize? Yeah, and, and, and what, is, what is the crucifixion? It's the ultimate symbol of what? Suffering, okay? Suffering. Dying to yourself, and that process of dying to yourself is not going to be an easy and fun process, okay? All right? <clears throat> so, you know, Jesus talks about he came to give us life and give us life to the fullness, okay? If, if, if your Christian walk just seems to be, you know, kind of all just difficulty, and I've, I've counseled people to this effect. I've had former students come up to me and say this, okay? You know, I'm not going to say to them, well, the Christian life is suffering. Just deal with it, okay? Um, I might do that a little bit more with my kids, okay? You can ask them. But they need to hear that, okay? <laughs> but when I'm counseling people, uh, you know, okay, uh, a lot of times I'll say, no, you know, you, you need to find ways, okay, uh, to enjoy Christ more, okay? Uh, to draw close to him, okay? If, if your life is seeming overwhelming right now, you might want to regroup a little bit. Maybe you need to, you know, not do so many sports or, you know, not, you know, be so worried about hanging out with your friends. Take some time for yourself, okay? You know, Jesus talked about that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, they would weigh people down with heavy burdens and they weren't uh, willing to lift a finger. Those of us in leadership positions need to be very, very careful about that. Those of us as parents need to be very careful about that. You can overwhelm people, okay, uh, with heavy burdens, okay? And we need to not do that, all right? We need to encourage people, okay, to enjoy Christ. But at the same time, we should be honest with people that the Christian life is a very hard and difficult life, okay? And sometimes it might not even just be outward circumstances. Your life might be going pretty good. It might be going pretty smoothly. Right now, you know, kids might be doing great, making good money, um, you know, you're in good health, so on and so forth, okay? And you might be like, I don't feel like I'm suffering that much. And people have come to the opposite of what I was saying a minute ago and said that. They said, you know, I know what the Bible says, and I, I want to sacrifice more for God, but I, I don't really feel like I'm doing that, okay? Well, wanting to be very careful to not do what I said a minute ago about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, sometimes I will counsel people like that. Maybe you need to get more involved. You know what I mean? Maybe you need to sign up for some, I, mean, I don't want you ever overdo yourself, but you might need to sign up for some more ministries, okay, that are going to stretch you more. God might be asking you to do that. And again, not in a work sense, okay, but you're feeling that conviction. God might be calling you, okay, uh, to press in, all right, because again, the Christian life isn't meant to be this sort of easy kind of coast along uh, uh, type of thing. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Now, as I said, um, those are all kind of forms of sort of suffering that, again, as American Christians, we're going to go through, all right? But something that we need to realize, all right, is that there's pockets throughout church history where sort of not very intense outward circumstantial suffering uh, takes place. But it's always the minority in church history, okay? It's always the exception to the rule. 
And we need to understand the fact that we sort of have been really, really blessed and really spoiled in America, okay, uh, as, as Christians for a long time. And we need to understand that's an exception to the rule, all right? And there's no guarantee it's going to last forever. Now, again, I'm not a doomsday preacher. Anybody knows me? I, I can't stand conspiracy theorists and people got, you know, their newspaper theology and Jesus is coming tomorrow and they know that for sure and so on and so forth. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, I don't know. Uh, you know, when America is going to fall apart, okay? But there's no promise in the Bible that says the United States of America is going to last forever and give Christians religious freedom for all time. Now, it probably won't come in our lifetime, but it might, okay? There's no guarantee, okay? And so again, while we've had it very easy, okay, we need to understand intense sort of outward circumstantial suffering is always something that's a possibility, okay? And we never need, we should never ever think that we're sort of above that or beyond that or that it could never happen uh, to us, okay? Um, after Constantine, we'll talk about later, after Constantine sort of gave Christians uh, um, sort of uh, legality, okay, and protection, after almost 300 years of intense, intense suffering, there was a 200-year period, okay, where that stopped. Things got a lot better. Christians were, life was much easier, okay? All right? And there was this sense amongst the church that, like, we've gone through our suffering, we overcame, we persevered, and God has delivered us, okay? And they looked at Constantine as almost this, like, semi-savior figure, not on the level of Jesus or anything, of course, but they really elevated Constantine, that God used Constantine, and now God was establishing this Christian empire, and what did they think was going to happen to that Christian empire? Does anybody know? Anybody who's studied some church history? They thought that that empire was going to do what? Let me say it louder. What's that? Millennium. Yes, okay. Not necessarily the, the, the premillennial view, but this, but yeah, that it was going to conquer the world, not necessarily through military means, although that might have been semi-possible, okay? It was going to conquer the world, okay? All right, and Christianity was sort of going to kind of become this global thing, and then that would usher in the second coming, okay? Is that what happened? No, okay? The Roman Empire did not last forever. It fell apart, and the same thing could happen to America, okay? And when the Roman Empire fell, okay, it fell hard, all right? And Europe crumbled, okay? And things were bad, really bad for Christians, okay, for a very, very long time. Christians lived a very difficult, very impoverished lifestyle, okay, for um, two, three hundred years until Charlemagne, when things only just started, and even then only slightly to get better. And we'll talk about in the East, okay, things only got worse because what came along? Islam, very good, okay? And Islam, okay, we tend to think, you know, when people think of Islam and Christianity, people almost always go to what? And we sort of get the brunt of the, the criticism. Crusades, okay? And the Crusades were not a pretty thing. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to talk about next week. I'm not going to just praise the church, you know, you know, in flowery language and that's it. No, the church has made a lot of mistakes, just like we as individual Christians make a lot of mistakes, all right? And the Crusades would definitely be one of them, Okay. But the church does get a bad rap in the sense that people leave out the whole like pre-400 years history, okay? There was a lot of animosity um, from Christians towards Islam. Now, they should have gone about it in a more loving way, okay? Don't get me wrong. But still, okay, 400 years of, is, uh, of Muslims massacring Christians, okay, in the thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands, okay, for three, uh, almost 400 years, okay? So the Crusades did not happen in a vacuum, okay? So, but again, it, my point is, okay, is as American Christians, we need to understand, we don't know what the future holds, okay, and we should be, you know, ready and uh, to expect anything, okay? 
All right, um, number two, okay? An overview uh, of the persecution of the church down through the ages. <clears throat> First thing I want to do is sort of briefly review the persecution of Christ, okay? Persecution of Christ is sort of the foundation for the persecution of the church. And the Bible often, okay, again, if this is more of a theologically oriented class, I, would, I could go over so many texts where the Bible often ties in our suffering into Christ's suffering, okay? And there's really two ways that the Bible does that, okay? The first is Christ is our ultimate example, okay? All right, he shows us, okay, what life as a Christian is going to be like, okay? Obviously, we can't follow Christ's example in every way. He accepted worship. He's God. We are never to do that, okay? Uh, so not everything Christ did can we do, you know, the same, all right? But by and large, we are to follow the example of Christ, all right? And the Bible says, okay, that we are going through suffering we should never look at it as this crazy, bizarre, weird thing because no matter how much we suffer as Christians, we've never suffered anywhere close to as much as Christ suffered for us, okay? And so he is our ultimate uh, example, okay? <clears throat> and then second, okay, theologians call this redemptive suffering, all right? And this ties into what I was talking about a minute ago, okay? God uses suffering in our lives to draw us closer to him, to conform us to his image, and that redemptive suffering which is part of the sanctification process, is rooted and grounded in Christ's suffering, okay? If not for Christ's suffering, our suffering would be meaningless, all right? And I mean that. I'm not trying to sound overly harsh. It would be utterly meaningless, okay? Because it is taint. Our suffering, no matter how much we come before God with a sincere heart and suffer for him, our sinful, the remnant of our sinful nature always taints every work that we do. Does that make sense? Okay. And therefore, even our good works, the Bible says, as Christians, could never be fully accepted at the throne of God. Does that make sense? That's why we cannot ever be justified by our works. God accepts our works as our gracious Father, okay, because as our judge, God has been dealt with through the work of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. So the redemptive suffering that we go through, God accepts this, accepts it, excuse me. He uses it to sanctify it, uh, sanctify us. Um, and it's something that is highly pleasing to him, but all of that is rooted and grounded in the suffering of Christ. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the fascinating quotes I read one time says that suffering is the gymnasium for our faith. Just as we go to the gym to exercise or stretch our muscles, suffering <coughs> stretches and exercises our faith and Absolutely. is stronger. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, not, not at all. Not, not so much anymore, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but I used to work out a lot back in the day when I was training for, for basketball. So I think that's excellent. I don't know who said that, Mark, but I think that's excellent. Um, and going to back to when, you know, my days of training for basketball, nothing worthwhile is really, you know, worth it without some sort of, you know, um, process of, of, of going through it, of the nitty gritty, okay? It's, it's so much more meaningful. Um, that when you go through those hard and difficult things, okay, uh, you know, the process of becoming a good basketball player was all the more satisfying, okay, because I went through that. A lot of people used to say, okay, because I wasn't the most naturally athletic person, aren't you jealous of people like Scottie Pippen who sort of just pick up a basketball when they're 16 and they go to the NBA? And honestly, I used to say, not really. I, the process was, was important to me. Okay, it meant a lot to me. And, and as Christians, okay, I think that's excellent. G the gym, okay, is sort of the context in which God sanctifies us. Okay, yes. Louis Burkhoff said God's providences, both favorable and adverse, are often powerful means of sanctification. Excellent, yeah. That God uses the means of suffering 
to draw us closer to himself. That's excellent. Okay, thank you, Josh, very much. Okay, so let's go over the persecution of Christ. A misconception sometimes amongst Christians in the persecution of Christ is that the persecution of Christ only started when? At the cross. Or, or at least the event sort of, the, the you know, the sort of uh, Passover weekend. I'm not Passover, the, um, uh, the Passion weekend. Okay, very good. Um, but is that correct? Is that theologically accurate? No. There's a very interesting passage in the book of Revelation. Again, we want to be very careful about how we use the book of Revelation. It's a very difficult book to exegete. It's heavily abused, okay? We also want to be careful not to ever read it and, and, and glean from it. And there's a really important passage that talks about from the moment, okay, uh, that Christ came into this world, Satan was after him, okay? There is a sense, okay, that Satan was persecuting our Lord, okay, from the moment he came into this world, all right? And the Bible's not always explicit about what Satan is doing, okay? Sometimes it is, like with the temptation in the wilderness, okay? And other times, all right? But Satan, okay, was always persecuting Christ, okay? And that's important for us to remember as Christians, okay? Our persecution doesn't always mean that, you know, we're being arrested by the authorities and we have to go give, you know, testimony and we might, you know, be, be subject to the lions in, in the Colosseum, okay? Sometimes it is just spiritual warfare. And I'll be honest with you, spiritual warfare can sometimes be the worst form of suffering that there is, okay? You will have days, if you're a Christian, and those of you guys who've been walking in the faith a long time, I know you'll just give me a hearty, mm-hmm, okay? If you haven't been walking that long, it'll come, okay? I promise you it'll come. You will have days where literally... Everything goes wrong in the most difficult and impossible ways that you can imagine. Even just in a different sort of way than you can't even always totally describe than before you were saved. Okay, where it's just like you are just being put through the ringer, okay, and you're just like, okay, I just can't keep doing this. All right, and you are so tempted to get overly mad, okay, and to say things we shouldn't say, and oftentimes we fall into that temptation, okay? Don't want to at all act like that we don't, okay? And so spiritual warfare can sometimes be the most intense and the worst types uh, of, uh, of suffering, okay? I'll be honest with you. People oftentimes talk about people calling you something at work or, you know, you know making fun of your faith, okay? No, that's not fun. I've gone through that, okay? Uh, but that oftentimes pales in comparison to real just nitty-gritty spiritual warfare where everything just seems to not be going the way that it should. Yes, sir? Yeah, I think uh, Christ with his disputations uh, with the Pharisees, I mean, he had his human nature, although it was pure as Adam was. Sure. But still, and then the, then the uh, God nature. The divine nature, sure. Divine nature. Mm-hmm. That was spiritual suffering because, I mean, he had to be, couldn't have a rocket against these, and they viciously attacked them. Sure. So that had to be spiritual suffering. Yeah. Uh, apart from what he the initial temptation of the wilderness. Absolutely. I was going to bring up the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think, were some of the most intense persecution Christ uh, endured. Those guys would not leave him alone, okay? And I, I've even talked to some people. Sometimes we act like it was always the Pharisees and Sadducees coming after him. Sometimes Jesus would go to the synagogue, okay, and he would do the controversy, okay? And I can guarantee you he was doing that to be obedient, okay? Not because he thought it was fun and enjoyable, okay, to get into it with those guys. But he knew he needed to preach the gospel. He knew he needed to expose those guys. And he knew they were going to be brutal with him, okay? All right, and sometimes, again, we, like I said before, we can so overemphasize the divine nature, okay? Christ was fully human, all right? And he didn't live in the United States of America where you had religious freedom, okay? All right, uh, uh, you went against the Jewish leaders, all right? You were taking your life into your own hands, okay? And what did the Jewish leaders often threaten him with? 
yeah, we're going to take your life. Okay, sometimes they would do it openly. Sometimes they would do it secretly. But it all got back to Christ. Okay, he knew what they were uh, wanting to do. And eventually, okay, they found a way uh, uh, to do it. Okay, um, you did not have religious freedom in the Roman Empire or in the Jewish sort of sub-empire as part of the Roman Empire. Okay, um, those were both semi-sort of theocratic. Okay, and if you overly questioned the religion, okay, of, of either, okay, you could get into serious trouble. And that's exactly what... Uh, Jesus did. Okay, so there is a sense in which Christ was persecuted and went through suffering from the time of his birth all the way, okay, until his actual uh, final death when he gave up um, his spirit. Okay, all right. Obviously, though, okay, um, the most, the, the worst suffering that Christ went through, okay, was Passion Weekend. Okay, obviously, we don't have a ton of time, but just sort of want to kind of briefly overview and review some of this stuff. A lot of times as 2,000 year removed Christians, when we read the Bible, we sometimes don't fully understand everything it's describing, okay? So for instance, when the Bible says Jesus was flogged, okay, I remember when I first started reading scripture, yeah, being flogged sounds really horrible and really evil and really off, I wouldn't want to go through that. But I sort of, in my mind, okay, when I was a very early Christian, didn't know a lot of history, I sort of pictured like, you know, I remember my mom used to watch Little House on the Prairie in the, in the 80s when I was a kid, okay? When, when you were bad, okay, the, the dad took you to the barn, you got the whip, okay? And that's sort of the, the image that came to my mind as sort of a, a very young American Christian, okay? And in the Roman Empire, flogging was literally as far removed from that as you can imagine, okay? So we read that and we pour certain meanings into that, uh, but we don't understand, okay, that it was unimaginably worse than that, okay? Just to give you an example, and I'll come back to this because I want to kind of do it in a more chronological order, but just real quick, people often died from just being flogged. Not all the rest of the stuff that Jesus went through. Sometimes just the flogging itself was enough to kill you. I guarantee you in the, in the 1800s, okay, uh, when your dad took you to the bar and whipped you, okay, I mean, unless he was like really horrible, mean, abusive, that would have been the exception. Very few people died from that, okay? That's how bad Roman flogging was, okay? All right, so... Uh, the sort of Passion Weekend, the really intense suffering of Christ starts in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? The Bible says that he was so stressed out, okay, that he was what? Does anyone? Yeah, okay, all right. So um, I don't know if these were actual literal drops of blood or if they were just such huge, intense, you know, drops of sweat or if there was sort of a mixture of blood and sweat. I've heard different scholars sort of say different things. Either way, okay, he was going through really, really intense stress, okay? He was really, really stressed out. Like I said, always want to make sure we emphasize his human nature, okay? To know that your your life is being threatened, okay, and to know that you're going to have to go through what he was going to go through, okay, it was real. It wasn't like he was just faking it or going through the motions or the divine nature sort of just swallowed it up and so it wasn't that bad, okay? He was sincerely stressed out to the point where he knew he needed to do it and yet he was still asking what? <laughs> Yeah, take this away. I can't, I don't know that I can do this. Okay, but then, yeah, then it, in the end, the divine will always submits to the, uh, excuse me, the human will always submits to the divine wills we talked about in the, in the Trinity class. Okay, all right. And then, okay, the sort of intense physical suffering started. Okay, he was arrested by the Jews. Okay, and as you guys have read, he was intensely beaten. Okay, uh, the Bible says he was punched, he was kicked, he was spit on. Okay, um, and again, these are these wouldn't have been people who were like sort of holding back. Okay, they didn't have boxing gloves on or anything. Okay, we're talking about you know full on punches. Okay, uh, that would have uh, uh, drawn blood. Okay, for sure. <laughs> yes. We'll get to that. Absolutely, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just physical suffering. It is, as, as was brought up earlier, it was spiritual suffering. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, eventually brought before the Romans, okay? And again, Roman soldiers, I'm not saying down to the last man. Some of them were, were, were you know, ethical people. But as a group, okay, who did the Roman Empire tend to recruit um, as soldiers, okay? Who tended to make the best soldiers? The, the sort of the nicest, most sort of kind of docile dudes? No, okay? And generally speaking, people who didn't have a problem, okay, with violence, okay, with uh, being verbally abusive, being mean. A lot of Roman uh, soldiers would oftentimes, when the Romans took over the, um, uh, the German barbarians, okay, they would oftentimes uh, secretly kidnap them, okay, and they would sell them into slavery for money, okay? That was a very common practice, and the Roman sort of soldier culture turned a blind eye to that. They knew it was going on. The leadership knew it was going on. But that was just sort of part of this culture, okay? Not known as the most highly ethical, okay, nice guy uh, type of culture, all right? Okay, and so the Bible says that they, they mocked him, okay? They put a crown of what on Jesus, okay? And again, we tend as American Christians don't really understand what that meant, okay? Scientists, okay, have done studies, okay? You don't have a lot of muscle and cartilage and stuff in your forehead, okay? When a thorn goes into your, thorn, uh, into your forehead, does anybody have any idea what that does? Okay, it pierces the nerves, okay, in your forehead so strongly, okay, that it's like someone taking a jackhammer to your head. The headache is just so intense, okay? And they have done studies on this, okay, to say that the nerve damage would have just been almost to the point where Jesus would have just been, like, uh, difficult to see, okay? He was probably seeing, like, multiple types of stuff, okay? Mocked him, put the purple robe on him, so on and so forth, okay? Then came, okay, one of the worst parts, if not the worst part, okay, and that was the flogging, okay? Roman flogging was not biblical Jewish flogging. Does anyone know how Jewish flogging went? It was not a pleasant experience. It was a punishment that was reserved for pretty serious crimes, and in ancient Israel, they didn't use it that much, okay? And still, it, it paled in comparison to Roman flogging. Does anybody have any idea um, how... Uh, or? What does the Bible say about if someone is to be flogged in the Old Testament? How does that work? How many lashes? What's that? 39. Yeah. It's, it was technically 40, but they would always do 39 to emphasize God's mercy, okay? That God never, remember we talked about the attributes of God in the Trinity class? He never gives the fullness of his wrath to anybody, not even in hell. There's always glimmers of God's mercy, and that was why they did the, the minus one, okay? They used to call it the 40 minus one, which is 39, okay? And it was just a regular leather whip. Does that make sense? On your back, okay? Painful, left scars. I'm not trying to make light of it, okay? But again, Roman flogging was something very, very different, okay? This was a very thick whip, okay? And they would dip it, okay, in glue. And then they would take bits of teeth, um, uh, uh, bones, okay? Just little shards of rocks, whatever they could. And they would dip the whip in those shards, okay? Sometimes they would actually take thorns, similar to the thorns that were put in uh, Jesus' crown, all right? And so they would... those whips would just be completely and totally jagged. And when they would go into your back, it didn't just bounce off like a leather whip. It stuck. All right. And you had to have some, a Roman soldier that was extremely strong. If you didn't, if they were not a buff dude, they were not qualified to flog somebody. And it would literally go into your back and then you would have to yank it out and the flesh would just come pouring out. And the number of floggings was left to the discretion of the Roman soldier, which is crazy, all right? And sometimes they would go so overboard, it would actually kill a person, okay? So again, um, reason I go over all this, okay, not fun stuff, okay, for those of us who worship Christ, for sure. But again, it's meant to be an encouragement. No matter how bad things are for us, okay, it's, it's like nothing compared to what Christ went through, okay? 
And you might say, well, there was Romans that were, you, you just said there was other people that were flogged. Okay, but remember, Jesus did it with the constant knowledge that he deserved what? None of it. He deserved none of it. He had done nothing wrong, okay? Even people who were innocent had still done something in their life, okay, to subject themselves to God's ultimate wrath. Okay, not Jesus, all right? At every point, he did it knowing that he deserved absolutely nothing that he was going through, and he did it anyways, okay? All right, then Jesus was forced to carry his cross. Again, as Christians in America, when we think of a cross, what do we tend to think? Because we've seen a million of them in church. Okay, yeah, and that, that part's accurate, but like, what do we do with crosses now in church? We sand them down, okay, we put the varnish on them, okay, all right. So carrying a, that kind of cross would certainly not be fun, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but is that what a Roman cross would have been like? No, we're talking about, you know, a jagged, okay, just taking basically two bars, okay, uh, smacking them together, there would have been, you know, big sh slivers of wood coming out of them, okay, and generally speaking, as bad as the Romans were, and these guys were like professional torturers. I mean, they, this is like the Roman Empire prided themselves on torture because they felt that the fear, okay, of the Roman Empire led to what's called the Pax Romana, the peace, okay, of the, the Roman Empire. They really felt that fear was a way to sort of keep everybody in line and in order, okay? Um, and as bad as they were, generally speaking, they did not make somebody carry their cross who had been flogged. Usually someone was not flogged and forced to be uh, crucified, okay? Usually those were separate, because like I said, usually um, they, if they were gonna crucify you, they wanted you to go through the experience of being crucified, all right? And if you were flogged and beaten and stuff before that, okay, the way Jesus was, you probably were not gonna last very long. Does that make sense, okay? But Jesus was an exception, he was made to do both, and that jagged wooded cross, okay, would have been doing what to his back? Yeah, and his back was already probably just a mess, okay, just an absolute, uh, mess. Okay, it really is amazing that Jesus and scientists and scholars have talked about this that he did not go into shock earlier than that. Okay, and if he had, they literally would have just carried his, dragged his body up to the cross and finished the job. Okay, now obviously he got so weak that he got to the point that he couldn't carry the cross anymore, and they had to make somebody else do it. But he never actually went unconscious. Okay, which is really, really amazing considering all that he went through. Okay, all right, um, and then Jesus was. Nailed to the cross, okay, which was the standard procedure. Um, a lot of times in movies and stuff, you'll see nailed right here, okay? That's actually not accurate, okay? It was nailed right here. And you might say, well, it says hands, okay, in the Bible. In uh, uh, um, the ancient languages, there was not always a very strong distinction between hand and wrist. Does that make sense? They were kind of sort of the same, okay? We now know from uh, archaeological evidence, okay, is that they would do right between your wrist bones, okay, uh, in order that you could literally hang on the cross, okay? All right. Um, they would then take your feet, okay, they put one over the top, okay, and then one nail would go through both of your feet and they would do it right through your Achilles, okay? I've never had this happen, okay? One of the most common injuries in basketball, and I played a lot of basketball in my life, is somebody tearing their Achilles, okay? And I have seen grown men almost in tears, tough guys who played basketball their whole life, okay, when they tear their Achilles. I've never had it happen to me, but I've seen it happen to others, and it does not look pleasant, okay? And you're literally having a nail utterly just going, shattering through both of your Achilles, okay, at the same time, okay? Um, again, it's really amazing that Jesus didn't faint in shock from all this, okay? You would then be hanging from the cross, and the way the Romans did it, it was in such a way that you couldn't breathe, okay? So that you would be hunched over, okay? And so in order to breathe, you would have to push up against the nails, okay, that had just been uh, uh, nailed into your feet, okay? In order just to get enough breath to keep going, all right? And then after that, 
you would sort of be so exhausted that you would then hunch over, okay, and then you would start to suffocate again, okay? Most people write this down, or not every time, it just depended on the person. Most people died on the cross by suffocation, okay? That was the most common way of death on the cross, was you just simply gave up and you suffocated to death, okay? Some people would be on the cross for as long as two to three days, okay? Just going back and forth, back and forth, trying to breathe, okay? Obviously, Jesus didn't last that long, because of all the other stuff, okay? Now, getting to Josh's point, I know I'm going quick, okay? But getting to Josh's point, um, Jesus went through the most intense spiritual suffering because as our atoning sacrifice, the wrath of God was being fully poured out upon him and not just in a physical sense, okay? I don't know how this works. This is one of the most intense debates and difficult points of theology in all of Christian theology, okay? But there is a sense in which the divine nature turned its back on the human nature, okay? They, I'm not saying they separated. Some theologians go that far. That's, that's really dangerous stuff. But there is in some sense of the word, okay, in which the, the wrath of God, okay, the Bible primarily talks about the Father, but it's really the wrath of God, the triune God, okay, was fully poured out, okay, on the, the person of Christ, okay? Um, and, and that sense of alienation, okay, of being abandoned. Now, I think the human nature still deep down knew God was with him and taking, but there was a sense in which he was, he was you know, uh, disillusioned and probably semi-hallucinating in which just that, that, that spiritual suffering, okay, was, was beyond measure. And the Bible says that for those who go to hell, that sort of separation from God is eternal. And you will be aware of that. You will be conscious of that for all eternity. There's a lot of heresies out there saying hell is not uh, a real thing, or even if it is, it's, it's, it's temporal, or there's annihilation, or it's not conscious punishment. Okay, all these things to try to soften the doctrine of hell. The Bible is unequivocally clear that hell is real, it's eternal, and it's conscious punishment that will last uh, forever. One of the most difficult teachings of our faith, but it's in the Bible. Jesus himself talked about it, and therefore we have no right uh, to turn our backs on that simply because it's not very popular in our day and age. Yes, sir. Bring Pastor Tim in on this one. Forsaken. Forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a word that could sort of subsume both of them is just a sense of alienation, of being alone. Okay. And I think that's one of the worst things in hell. I don't take all the descriptions. I might, you might say, well, now you sound like the people who are trying to soften it. Maybe. But I don't take all the descriptions about fire and all that stuff totally literally. Okay. Um, I, there, there might, I think there'll be physical punishments in hell, but I think the focus of the passages in the Bible on hell, that you really look at them, is a sense of aloneness, okay? You will be alone, all right? And that, to me, is really what is encapsulated um, in, in Jesus on the cross in his spiritual suffering. He felt alone, and that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, yes, real quick. There are a lot of people who say, oh, uh, if I go to hell, so what, I'll be have people people say those things to pacify themselves to make themselves feel better but it has absolutely no foundation in scripture you will not be with your buddies you will not be with your friends you will not be partying as acdc and marilyn manson say uh, you're going to be alone and it's going to suck I mean, that's, that's, that's basically what the Bible says. Uh, Mark, did you have something real quick? Oh, yeah. I just kind of wanted to throw a monkey wrench in your, your presentation. I'm okay with that. There is a cause. There is Jesus' divine nature was exposed to the suffering and is what paid for it. 
And I went over that in the Trinity. Absolutely. No, I know. I'm just saying, but that's just where the mystery comes in. Couldn't agree more. Physical suffering, and it just it, yeah. It, it, it the best that I can describe it, and this is a really weak analogy, but I think it helps. Is is I've known some of my former students had uh, diabetes. Okay, and sometimes they would have to leave class, and sometimes I'd have to go and help them if the nurse wasn't there, and they'd have to give themselves a shot. Okay, their soul is sort of the one. The driving force there, right? I mean, the force is it's telling the body, give yourself a shot. It's forcing the body to do something that's very unpleasant. So there's a sense in which the soul is sort of against the body in that, okay? But it's the, both the soul and the body are experiencing that. I mean, that doesn't fully get at it, but I think there's something there where the divine nature was forsaking the human nature in some sense, was punishing, but yet at the same time was experiencing it too. But we don't want to take, as I talked about in my in my long technical handout, it, it, oh, that stuff just gets so gnarly and paradoxical. Wherever all that works out, the bottom line is the person of Christ, our Savior, on the cross, went through the most intense physical and spiritual sufferings uh, imaginable. Okay, And that really is the foundation for the suffering of the church. I didn't get through the actual church. Um, we'll get through that quickly. I'm going to go into a lot more detail in each session, but I just want to briefly kind of give an overview of the intensity of the persecution that's existed uh, amongst the church um, throughout its history. We'll do that really quickly starting next week, and then I'm going to get a little more technical in session two, but most of the sessions, okay, will be more similar uh, to the way uh, uh, today, okay? All right, thank you guys. Appreciate it.